you have the chance to win a Spring Super Sweeps from LAist. Donate $60 for one entry to win a brand new Lexus or $25,000 in cash. Check out all the other prizes too when you donate now at LAist.com sweeps. I'm Austin Cross. Join me for LAist's new live event series with the James Beard Foundation. We are where we eat. We'll go behind the scenes of LA restaurants. The kickoff event is May 22nd. Tickets at LAist.com events. Studios. It's a place that can be home to any kind of event and any kind of Angelino or, or visitor. It's a small D democratic place and people love it. This is How to LA, the podcast that helps you discover more about this city. I'm your host, Brian De Los Santos. So, this is going to sound like a bad joke. But what do Pope John Paul II, John F. Kennedy, Evil Knievel, Jackie Robinson, Billy Graham, and Prince all have in common? The answer is that they've all, at one time, taken the field or the stage at the Los Angeles Memorial Coliseum. The Coliseum is one of several LA landmarks hitting the century mark this year. And we thought it'd be fun to take a look back on it as we celebrate our one-year anniversary of How to LA this September. We explored the Biltmore Hotel in downtown, if you haven't listened to that already, and we'll be featuring the story behind the Hollywood sign pretty soon on the podcast. When it comes to the Coliseum, there's no denying it has rich history. For example, the stadium played a role in the desegregation of the NFL. You'll hear more about that later, and it will soon be the first location to ever host three Olympic Games. But its history goes way beyond sports. Los Angeles went all out in its reception. From welcoming General George Patton back to the U.S. at the end of World War II. You who have not seen it do not know what hell looks like from the top. That's what Germany looks like. To hosting more than 100,000 concertgoers at an event that would become known as the Black Woodstock. First, though, we got to go back to its beginnings in 1923. If we are to look back a century ago into the early 1920s, there's this proliferation of institution founding across Los Angeles. That's USC history professor Bill Deverell. It's a moment in Los Angeles's sense of itself, which, of course, Los Angeles isn't a thing that thinks or has a sense of itself. It's the people in Los Angeles who are in certain positions of authority, power, and privilege who are thinking. Let's put this place on the map and let's let's remind the world that we're serious about building big and important institutions out here. So that early 20s up through the coming of the Great Depression, there's so much happening in terms of the architectural construction of culture. And Los Angeles turns out to be very good at it. Yes, can I help you? Hi, we're supposed to meet someone for a tour here at 11.30. You can explore the Coliseum's history by going on a historical tour of the stadium, something producer Monica Bushman recently did with her dad, John. So we're here outside the Coliseum looking up at what I believe is the 
Olympic torch. I'm here with my dad. Hi, hi. This is awesome, awesome. His personal connection to the Coliseum is that his mom volunteered there as an usher in the 1932 Olympics. The peristyle end is, I would say, probably the most iconic and definitive piece of the Coliseum of the building. Coliseum staffer Marina Fote showed them around, starting at the main entrance, called the peristyle. You kind of have center arch right here, and then throughout the other archways, you've got plaques, which are referred to as the Court of Honor. So they're basically um, a whole bunch of historic figures that have made some kind of an impact on Los Angeles. And then additionally, in the front, right here by center arch, you've got two stones. Um, so you've got one stone from the Colosseum in Rome. That is a real Roman Colosseum stone. And then the stone from Greece is because Athens, Greece, is the very first Olympic uh, location. The Colosseum became a historic national monument in 1984, the year of the second Olympics in LA. And there are some clues, if you didn't know it was built in 1923, that Marina says do give it away. If you look into one of our tunnels, we have a theory that people 100 years ago had to be on average much shorter than they are today because you can see inside our tunnels a lot of them are maybe six foot two tall like they're really yeah. not very yeah. tall you wouldn't build tunnels that are that size today um, so coming up kind of more about the coliseum's history including its role in social justice movements a lot of the kind of social movements of the mid-20th century really you know use the stadium space for their own agendas you know towards freedom and democracy and rights and why there is opposition to using public funds to build a stadium back in the 1920s that's after the break Support for LAS comes from Latino Theater Company at the Los Angeles Theater Center, presenting the world premiere of Ghost Waltz by Oliver Mayer, a bold original recovery of Juventino Rosas, one of Mexico's most significant composers. Follow Rosas from his father's early death to his friendship with ragtime genius Scott Joplin, now on stage through June 2nd. Tickets and information at latinotheaterco.org. Hey, what's up, y'all? I'm Pindarvis Harshaw, host of the Right Nowish podcast. Every week, I talk to the people who are creating art and culture and spreading it to the universe. As an artist, you always meet yourself. Every year, you're a different person. Essentially, we normalize a space where you can show up as your authentic self. Check out Right Nowish. Rooted in California's Bay Area, speaking to you. It's so many people of color, so many queer people. It's like I'm being celebrated in my fullness. Available wherever you listen to podcasts. Welcome back to How to LA. I'm your host, Brian De Los Santos. The 1920s is the era when LA, you know, really begins its ascent into becoming the global city that it becomes. This is Frank Goridi. He's a history professor at Columbia University, and he studied the role that stadiums have played in American history. And, you know, part of that is because the local real estate elite certainly had its eyes on, you know, making L.A. a, a major player on the national stage. So, you know, building a stadium was seen by the elites as a way to put L.A. on the map. And what they were really after was they wanted to attract the Olympics to Los Angeles. The Olympics at the time was a strictly European affair. Mm. And, you know, people like William A. Garland, who was the person who, you know, you could argue was largely responsible for the, 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 the campaign to build the Coliseum, 
you know, really thought that if we bring the Olympics to Los Angeles, that this would, uh, you know, put LA on the map. And, you know, he was right. You know, unbelievably, this sort of backwater Western growing city becomes, you know, the site of the 1932 Olympics. The 1932 Olympics in Los Angeles. The scene is the Coliseum and the world's outstanding athletes are here. So that site beforehand, you know, was sort of a, it was a racetrack. It was a place where, you know, people who were not seen as desirables would congregate, you know, from the perspective of the elites. So part of the, what they thought with USC nearby, that this would be a way to, you know, create a kind of recreational environment that would be more useful than a place where people would gamble and, and uh, watch racing. Now it's Ed Gordon of the University of Iowa in a 25-foot, three-quarter-inch leap. That's Gordon. So they had their eye on that space for development, and that's in fact what they did. I'm kind of curious about what would the community standpoints on this? You know, they're <laughs> proposing all these changes. Are they protesting where the money's coming from? Are they protesting that they're raising over homes, like, or for certain other features? I know that racetrack was there, but what did yeah. the community say about all this? Great question. Well, those become much more contentious questions, meaning, you know, stadium construction as time goes on. There's no question that there's a debate about whether or not the city should build a stadium like the Coliseum. And mostly from at that time, you know, from, from a fiscal perspective, right, which is like, you know, public dollars should not be used to build a building like this, right? And so the initial bonds to raise funds to build the Coliseum were defeated uh, because people were rightly critical of the idea that public funds would be used. But, you know, the local elite worked their way around it. And in the end, you know, they were able to sort of, you know, create a path to build the stadium. And that's sort of the reason why the kind of curious arrangement that emerges that winds up imagining the Coliseum uh, unfolds, in which you have local boosters leasing the site from the city government and the county government and the state government. Um, you know, the area at the time was not densely populated, right? So there, this isn't a question of, you know, removal of families or things that we see later on in the mid-20th century. Uh, with urban renewal policies that we see. In this period, it's really about the financing of the structure. That's really the contentious question. How did the Olympics change people's feelings about the Coliseum? I think it becomes known as one of the most significant buildings in the world, you know, mm. because the Olympics is a global event, right? Uh, and certainly a lot of Europe discovers L.A. as a result of the Olympics. There's no question about that, right? I mean, it's attracting participants from, you know, mostly Europe, but also, you know, parts of Latin America and other parts of the world, too. You know, and that's part of the reason why L.A. is able to bring back the Olympics in 1984, because it had, you could argue, and many argue, successfully staged the Olympics in 1932. Once it was a village slumbering in the hot sun of Southern California. Then came the movies, and the city of the Queen of the Angels began to sprawl across the landscape from the ocean to the desert. And today, for the second time in its history, Los Angeles welcomes the athletes of the world for the Summer Olympics. You know, it was, uh, you know, recognized as a successful event that had many memorable performances and it, you know, it helped galvanize sort of, you know, uh, an effort to sort of make L.A. known on an international and national stage. And I think you could argue, and I would agree, that in fact it did that. The Olympics does a lot of negative things, but at that time I would say that for the most part, it really did help, you know, elevate L.A.'s image. There's no question about that. Before we move on from sports, because Coliseum is not just sports, but I do want to touch on the history of the LA Rams and the Coliseum, which I know nothing about. Maybe you can help me out here. I understand yeah. that their story was pretty important here with the integration of the NFL. Can you just give me the backstory there? 
So the Rams franchise uh, moved to Los Angeles from Cleveland in 1946. Dan Reeves is the owner, and this is in the period when emerging professional leagues like the National Football League are looking to expand their reach onto the West Coast. So Reeves moves the team from Cleveland to Los Angeles. The Rams opened on the coast for the first time in 1946. Los Angeles, and particularly the, the neighborhood where the Coliseum is located, South Central Los Angeles, right, was becoming a, you know, a significantly African-American part of the city. You know, segregated, of course, hmm. in that you know, many African-Americans were segregated into that area of the city at that time. But L.A. also, you know, uh, you know, like all black communities, you know, black communities had their own institutions, had their own sorts of, uh, you know, mouthpieces that were making their needs known to the broader Angelino public. And so it's L.A. sports writers. Once they get wind that the Coliseum is going to be the new home field of the Rams who are arriving from Cleveland, they start agitating for the integration of the roster. Mm-hmm. This is before Jackie Robinson, you know, Pasadena. Uh, Angelino, who of course is a football star in LA, who eventually becomes, who breaks the color line in Major League Baseball. This is two years before the Major League Baseball is integrated. So they start saying, well, the Coliseum is a public entity, and uh, as a public entity that's, you know, that's hosting this NFL franchise, it should have black players. And they were agitating for the signing of Kenny Washington, who had been a local college football legend who played for the UCLA Bruins in the 1930s. To the right, Kenny Washington's getting the ball, fakes the pass, he's going to run with it. Kenny Washington steps back to pass, throws a looper to Jackie Robinson, and it's complete for a first down. One of the great football players of his day, uh, who had very little to no opportunities to pursue a football career after UCLA. And so it's local sports writers who start agitating, and in fact, the Rams sign Kenny Washington and also... Woody Strode, his teammate who also played with him at UCLA, to become the first black players to play in the NFL in 1946. Wow. Yeah, and that's really the efforts of you know local black sports writers who are agitating for change. And it also makes the point that I think is extremely important when we look at the Coliseum. It was a publicly managed facility, right? And part of the mandate that the city and the county and the state had as public managers is that the facility would be accessible to a broader public. And so black activists understood that, and other marginalized communities understood that in subsequent years as well. And they're able to sort of leverage that argument to say that, well, you know, we can't have a discriminatory you know, entity performing in this public structure. And that's one of the reasons why you know, integration you know, has a sort of different history in terms of incorporating African-Americans to sports teams than what we would see, of course, in a place like the Jim Crow South, where integration happens decades later. Wow, I didn't. I did not know any of this. So thanks yeah. for that, Frank. I, I appreciate that drop of knowledge. Um, and you know, the, the Coliseum had many historic moments. It wasn't just sports. There was also speeches from John F. Kennedy, Martin Luther King Jr. Uh, a mass was held by the Pope, John Paul II. There. What are some of the other real standout events for you that make the Coliseum such an important public institution? Yeah, you know, I always say the LA Coliseum you know, for a long time was, if not the most important space of congregation in Los Angeles, it's got to be right up there. Because, you know, L.A., as everybody who L.A. knows, is a suburbanized metropolis, right? It is a collection of suburbs, right? It's not like, you know, cities in the Northeast where I live, right, Mm -hmm. Uh, that emerged earlier in the history of this country that certainly have suburbs, but there is a core you know, downtown areas, right, core parts that radiate out, whereas Los Angeles' development is very different. It's a place where automobile transit becomes the dominant form of transportation by the mid-20th century. And so, you know, as a result, you don't have the same kind of 
history of congregation in a place like Central Park or something like that uh, that you that you have in a, in a New York City, right? Just by comparison. So really, because most of the sports teams are performing there, you know, people were used to going to South Central Los Angeles to see games at the Coliseum, but also to go there to hear speeches, to go, you know, to, to Billy Graham Crusade. The largest crowd at the Coliseum was 134,000 people who came to the Billy Graham Crusade in 1963, which is kind of crazy. Back in Los Angeles, where he started 14 years ago, dynamic evangelist Billy Graham launches a new crusade. To the huge Memorial Coliseum come busloads of people each day from churches of many denominations. So there's a strong sort of religious congregation history there. There's, as you mentioned, you know, of course, uh, you know, in terms of politicians, the most famous being one of the most famous, John F. Kennedy, who gives his uh, acceptance speech when he receives the Democratic nomination in 1960 at the L.A. Coliseum. But there's also a fascinating history, black history of the Coliseum. One of the most famous events that happened there was a uh, 1972 concert called Watt Stacks. Ladies and gentlemen, right about now. Which was organized by the uh, Watt Summer Festival, which was organized by black activists in South LA for a long time. It's been said many times in many places that freedom is a road seldom traveled by the multitude. But we would like to invite each of you to come and go with us, and perhaps you'll see a side of life that you've never seen before. And in 1972, they were, you know, having their usual Watts Summer Festival to commemorate the 1965 Watts Uprising. I'm the son of a bitch! And they partnered with Stax Records, uh, one of the, you know, leading record labels of the day that had, you know, recorded Isaac Hayes and all sorts of black soul acts. And they have this gigantic concert at the L.A. Coliseum, 100,000 people, most of them black, though not all of them, uh, to sort of commemorate the Watts Uprising and celebrate uh, black political and economic achievement and black aspirations for equality in 1972. It was the place where Angelinos went to congregate for a variety of reasons, right? And sports certainly being probably the most important, but it has this very strong civic history. And it also Mexican-American groups would also have events there, and also at the nearby LA Sports Arena, which existed, you know, for many years before the building of the soccer stadium that's there now, right? So, you know, it really is one of those places where Angelinos really congregated for many, many years, you know, and then things change when you have the building of the Forum in Inglewood, and then, of course, the Staples Center in the 1990s, and all the other structures, Dodger Stadium, of course, but really, it all starts at the Coliseum. You know, right now, the Coliseum sits in Council District 9, which is the district in L.A. with the lowest median income. So the stadium and Exposition Park, where it's at, has been viewed as economic assets that have the potential to turn things around for residents who live there. As a historian, how do you view it? Like, what's the value that's changed over the years to different members of the L.A. community? You've mentioned black and brown communities specifically. Well, since the 1990s, you know, the Coliseum's role in L.A. has declined because, you know, you had the building of the Staples Center. You had the building, of course, before that, the Forum in Inglewood, SoFi Stadium, which is now in Inglewood, and now there'll be a new arena next to it. So, like, you know, the Coliseum ceased to be the kind of 
central gathering place in LA that it had been from the 1920s until the 1980s, I would say, right? You know, the Raiders leave the Coliseum in 1994, right? So, um, so its place has changed. It is managed by the University of Southern California, USC, and it's sort of now rebranded as a USC structure, even though it's still technically a public facility, right? Uh, and it's also, you know, now as a as part of USC's sort of um, vision of the community, I think it's, it's, it's much more tied to that institution than it used to be, even though USC has always been, you know, arguably the most important tenant at the Coliseum since it's been playing college football there since the day it opened in 1923, right? So, um, so I think what is now envisioned, many stadiums are envisioned now to be these, you know, these generators of economic development and jobs and things like that. The problem is, is that, you know, most reputable economists will tell you over and over again that stadiums are money pits. They are not generators of economic development. I don't care what a sports institution will tell you. I don't care what the NFL commissioner or the MLB commissioner is going to tell you. Over and over again, the cost of construction and maintenance outweigh whatever tangible economic benefits that can be derived from the structure. So then the question becomes, what in the end is the function of a stadium? And that's the question that we have with us today as we continue to build stadiums across this country and, and the expectation that franchises have that the public should fund them. And I would argue that they shouldn't fund them if they don't produce concrete benefits for surrounding communities. And you already described the kind of you know, inequities that have been part of that community in South Central Los Angeles forever. And I think that uh, it remains to be seen, and I would argue that it's not likely that a stadium is going to generate any substantial benefits, economic benefits, in terms of jobs and things like that, for the community, aside from temporary employment here and there. And certainly, if it's envisioned as part of a massive real estate development, and I think even the, the argument becomes even more specious, right? So, so I think then, uh, you know, if you look at stadium history, what it gives communities are places to congregate. Right. And that means that they're only useful if they're actually accessible to a broad public. If they're not, if they're just playgrounds for the elites and the corporate crowd and the VIP crowd who sit in the luxury suites, then they are really not worthy public investments. That's what I would say. And I think that that's kind of the challenge of what, you know, what is this building? What function does this building have now in contemporary Los Angeles? I think it remains to be seen. And if it's just seen as this engine of economic development, I, I, I'm not convinced that's going to be the actual the best way to view a structure like that one. And, you know, aside from the economic benefits and the changes that has happened with the Coliseum, I think one of the interesting things that happened in 2019 was when it was kind of announced that it was going to be renamed the United Airlines Memorial mm-hmm. Coliseum. Yeah. And some folks were, were like, WTF? Um, and it sounds like people felt an ownership of having it just be the Coliseum, the LA Coliseum. Well, I think that that was a very telling moment. Because, uh, you know, most facilities, you know, just accept the check from the corporate sponsor and change the name. But I think the fact that there was so much resistance shows you how significant that building has been to the city's history. You know, and, and you know, L.A. is tricky with you know, historic preservation. You know, it's not seen as a place where preservation matters. But the fact that there's a very strong preservation impulse when it comes to the Coliseum is significant, I think. You know, now USC just renovated it and there's this sort of massive um, corporate suites 
that are now built on the, uh, I think it's on the south side of the stadium now. So it looks very different. But, you know, nonetheless, the peristyle is still there. It's still a memorial court. You know, I think there is a general acknowledgement that this is a special place that shouldn't be turned into uh, something that's named after a corporate sponsor. Frank, thank you so much. I appreciate your time here. Thanks for having me. Alrighty, y'all, that's pretty much it from us today. Hope you learned a little something about the Coliseum and really about Los Angeles. Happy 100 years to the LA Memorial Coliseum. We'll be back tomorrow talking about the impact of the Hollywood strikes on entertainment workers. Support for this podcast is made possible by Gordon and Donna Crawford, who believe that quality journalism makes Los Angeles a better place to live. This program is made possible in part by the Corporation for Public Broadcasting, a private corporation funded by the American people. The LAS Spring Super Sweeps is happening now. You can win amazing prizes while supporting your source for local fact-based journalism. One lucky grand prize winner will get to choose a brand new Lexus or $25,000 in cash. Other prizes include an electric bike from Juice Bikes and $1,000 gas gift cards. Your donation of $60 gets you one entry to win. And the more you give, the more entries you get. Donate now at LAS.com sweeps.